Hi, Nick Petrella here. This episode is sponsored by Volkwein's Music, a full-service shop that's been meeting the musical needs of musicians for over 135 years. They offer a huge selection of instruments, accessories, music, and more. They also have an unmatched instrument repair department with some of the most experienced technicians in the business. For years, they've serviced my personal and school instruments, and their attention to detail is why I and professional musicians from around the globe trust Volkwein's to service their gear. Head over to volkweinsmusic.com to see what they can do for you. That's V-O-L-K-W-E-I-N-S music.com. Helping people discover music since 1888. Hi everyone, Nick Petrella here. This episode is sponsored by Steve Weiss Music, percussion specialist since 1961. If you're looking for a rare piece of sheet music, a specialty gong, or anything percussion, Steve Weiss Music will have it please visit steveweissmusic.com or click their link in the show notes. That's S-T-E-V-E-W-E-I-S-S music.com, our percussion series sponsor. Welcome to the Arts Entrepreneurship Podcast, making art work. We highlight how entrepreneurs align their artistry, passion, and vision to create and pursue opportunities to capture value in the arts. The views expressed by guests on the Arts Entrepreneurship Podcast are solely their own and do not necessarily represent the views of the podcast or its hosts. The appearance of a guest on the podcast, the venture they represent, or reference to any product or service does not imply an endorsement or recommendation by the podcast or its hosts. The content provided is for entertainment and informational purposes only and does not constitute business advice. Here are your hosts, Andy Heiss and Nick Petrella. Hello, Arts Entrepreneurship Podcast listeners. My name is Andy Heiss. And I'm Nick Petrella. Javon Gilliam is with us today. He's an extraordinary musician who juggles three careers in different aspects of music. He's the principal timpanist with the National Symphony Orchestra, the co-director of percussion studies at the University of Maryland, and he's the founder and owner of Capital Percussion and Backline Rentals near Washington, D.C. While I'm sure we'll touch upon his experiences as a performer and teacher, the focus of this interview will be on his backline company and what he learned that wasn't part of his music education. As with all our guests, we'll link to his bio and websites in the show notes. Javon, thanks for being with us today. Hey, I'm really, really happy to uh, be here. Thank you guys for having me. Why don't we start by having you give our listeners a brief biographical sketch? I play drums for a living, man. I try to make noise and do well. That's it. Um, uh, I mean, you know, Nick, we've known each other for a while, and um, you guys understand, like, being able to make music a way to make a living is, like, one of the best things ever. So I'm just really fortunate that I get to go to work every day and have built-in stress relief, um, and it's great. But, yeah, currently... um, like you said, I'm the timpanist at the National Symphony Orchestra. I'm also the director of percussion studies at the University of Maryland. And I own a business that is now spawned into two businesses, Capital Percussion and Backline Rentals. And we own and rent out musical instruments for all types of artists. And then we just built a brand new uh, rehearsal facility called The Shed that is connected to our warehouse so we can provide rehearsal space and facility for said artists. 
And so that's under the same umbrella, or is it actually two separate businesses? Legally, it's one business. Uh, We branded it as two separate businesses, but it's all under the same roof. Literally, it's in the same location. That's great. Those rehearsal spaces, those would be like touring acts that need a rehearsal space or like local bands that need a room to play in. Yes. Uh, we have four. We have four rooms. Uh, our largest okay. is about a thousand right. square feet, and so we can host uh, up to a forty-piece chamber ensemble, and then okay. you know any of the pop artists that come through. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Early on in your journey as a as a musician, as a drummer, did you ever imagine starting a business? Did you think it someday you wanted to start a business? Um, and also, as a musician, did you ever think of yourself as an entrepreneur? No. But the ironic thing is that my degree and my university degree is actually in arts administration, which, of course, is business business uh, management for nonprofits. And sure. that's a story for another time. But it was I just I wasn't <laughs> expecting to do that. I always wanted to perform, but I never wanted to have a business or run a business. And then when capital percussion kind of fell in my lap, if you will. A lot of those skills, all of those classes that I took, micro macro counting and, uh, you know, all this stuff, they became yeah. very helpful. So not really, Great. but I love it now and I'm glad I'm doing it. Yeah. So how did you get started in Backline back in 2014? Did you see an opportunity to monetize your personal inventory of instruments or was it because you're performing in a variety of venues that you saw the frequency of different acts loading in or, or was it something else? Yeah, it's a great question. So I CP... Capital Percussion started at a restaurant on a whim. Um, basically, it was me and a former, I um, uh, used to have a partner. Um, we decided that we have all of our percussion instruments at our house that we don't really use in the orchestra sitting around. So why don't we just kind of, you know, let our friends use it and see if we can make a few dollars. Very, very innocent. Um, and so that's kind of how it started. And for three or four years, it kind of laid dormant. We didn't have very much work. We didn't do anything. And then once the company became my own, 100% mine, I started to notice at the Kennedy Center, uh, for those of you that haven't been to the Kennedy Center in D.C., there are 20 plus performing art spaces under the entire roof of the and in, in, inside the whole building. Yeah. So there's a lot of performing spaces. And I would notice that these spaces would always have equipment that shows up every day, goes in and out. And I realized that, you know, these were rentals that these artists would do, Diana Ross or, you know, for one of the musicals or for like an opera, like all these things that would come in and it was a lot of gear. And so long story short, that's how I learned that Backline was actually a thing and it was actually an actual industry, uh, an, an entertainment industry. And so being naive, I just said, I'll see what I can do. Um, and I, Jumped in with two feet, not knowing anything about what I was about to get myself into. Uh, but the, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And um, they started to call us to see if we would actually be able to provide the equipment for them. And I never said no and scrambled behind the scenes to figure it out. And that's kind of how it started. And uh, that was about 2017 or 2018. Mm-hmm. And that's when it really became much more backline heavy. Yeah. And so at what point did you know that this business could work? So you said you kind of floundered in the early days, just kind of maybe word of mouth, other friends and that sort of mm-hmm. thing. But then uh, sort of the light bulb moment when when you realized uh, there was an opportunity there. And then later, at what point were you like, all right, this is a this is a real this is a real thing. This could this is a uh, 
repeatable and scalable business. Right. Yeah. Scalable for sure. Um, it was in <laughs> 17 when I saw what was coming in and out. And once I realized what it was, you okay. know, as in the NSO, we never really rent instruments, right? But for pop right. shows, like we'd rent front stuff that goes in the front. And so I started to see that kind of stuff and I started to see that it was always, there were always cases coming in and out. Uh, so that's when I realized that this was actually an industry. And then once I did more research, I realized that the there was a, a window of opportunity uh, with regards to how saturated the market is. And so mm-hmm. uh, that's when I decided to sort of dip my toe in the water again, naively thinking that me being in the National Symphony, that would be name recognition to get people to use us. That was not the case. Uh, so, but I thought it would be. And so like, you know, just kind of figured it out. So that was the impetus that started the whole thing. Sure. Yeah. Your inventory includes much more than percussion. So I imagine with the sheer variety of brands and performers, you're in a never ending battle of acquisitions. Who looks after that while you're playing or doing anything else that you do? Who looks after that? And has your approach to financing purchases changed over the years? Right. So uh, we're, rec- we're doing this right now, and I'm actually in New York City. Um, and so I have a fantastic team, uh, a leadership team, where I have built this. Because I've been in the symphony before I started this, so the way that I had to build this business was knowing that I was not always going to be able to be there nine to five every day. So that was always a part of the sort of the, the growth plan and the master plan. And it's all about people. Right. Business relationships. It's all it's it's all business is all about relationships with people. And so I got I say I got lucky uh, in finding my general manager, my business manager. Uh, but because this is a, an arts uh, entrepreneur podcast and we're all drummers here, I could tell you that, like, my secret sauce is that I reached out to. And to be honest, Nick, you might have been a part of this email chain. I don't know if you were. You might have been. But <laughs> okay. back in 2018, I sent an email out to almost every percussion professor that taught at a university that I knew. And I said, uh, shorthand, hey, I'm looking for a good person that doesn't really want to play, but they've got the right skills, the right people person, whatever, right? And so like, I don't need them to know what they're doing. They don't need to know what backline is. They just need to be the right person. Oh, and okay. I got, I got the, my, my GM came from Towson. Uh, my assistant GM came from the University of Kentucky. My business manager, who's my right-hand gal, like she and I are joined at the hip. I talk to her more than I talk to my wife. She's from Florida State. Drummers, all of them. And so, like, but they're all really great people, right? So we are doing this together. We're sort of failing upwards together. And so that's that's how this whole thing kind of started. They're great. Sabrina and Andrew are fantastic. And so I talk to them every day. And so we everything we do is on the cloud. So everything that they do... And there, I get a notification on my phone, or I yeah. see it. So it's real very cloud. It's very real time, um, and that way we keep up with everything. Um, every piece of every piece of equipment we have has a barcode, mm-hmm. um, and we it all goes into a system. Um, currently, as of right now, uh, I can tell you real quick: we have twenty two thousand six hundred and seventeen pieces of equipment. <laughs> Yeah, so you need it's yeah, all, it's all. you need someone right. to look after that. But right. there's a and lesson so, in there yeah. mm-hmm. of you know, hiring hiring just good people, right? Right. And so right. so that is the first half of the question. Second half, when you're starting out and it's your own, that's the sunk cost. You already have it now. 
you didn't have 22,000 pieces of, of equipment. So no. h- how did you grow? How did you acquire that? How did you, did you finance? Did you cash flow? Mm-hmm. How, how did you acquire that? Right. Um, and that's the barrier to entry in this market, backline yeah. or a rental, any sort of rental, whether it's sound or anything, is that you have to have the equipment and then you're able to actually rent it out. And so this is not an easy game to play. This is not an easy market where you can just jump in and say, hey, I've got because what happens, um, for example, um, we own 33 drum kits. Right. And for us, I'll speak in drum language. A drum set for us, one drum set is 8, 10, 12, 13 rack, Tom, 14, 16, 18 floor, Tom, 18, 220s, 222s, and a 24 inch kick, four or five snare drums, all the hardware. That's one kit. Yeah, yeah. And we own 33 of them, right? And so, because, you know, the artist wants DW or Yamaha or Mapex, and we have to have them all. So, like. The, the way that I acquired all this gear, so I told you before that I thought that me being Javon and the NSO would like get us jobs, which did not work, but it did get dealers and manufacturers to pick up the phone. So I will call every manufacturer. The drums were easy. Like I could call yeah. some of these guys. Like I'm, I think I remember, you know, asking you, Nick, about like, oh, and absolutely. so that was easy. But Fender, Aguilar, GK, like the guitars and keyboards and all this other stuff. I say, hey, you know, my name is Javon. I'm in National Symphony. I love you guys' product. Can I talk to whomever, whatever? So they get me on the phone, and I'm like, hey, by the way, I have this company, whatever. So I have a, I have very, really good working relationships with every manufacturer, almost every manufacturer of every piece of equipment that we have to purchase. Uh, so I make sure that what we get is the best quality, uh, the best, you know, the, the the best piece of equipment that we can get, so we can provide that and pass that down to our clients. So it was cash flow heavy. Uh, to answer your question about how, uh, because I already had a full time job, I was able to mm-hmm. take every dime and reinvest it into the company. And that was, I mean, we started in 2014. It didn't get serious until 17, uh, 18, and 19 were our best years. I was 19 was our best year. COVID hit. Yeah, zero. Uh, and now we've rebounded back. And so, um, you know, it's uh, we are, you know, we're, we're seeing the turnaround now because, yeah. you know, every, everything's back ordered. You can't get anything now. You can't get any new pieces yeah. of gear now. So the fact that we had it before is actually starting to pay off. So, so that buried entry is a nice moat around your business, right? And sure. Yep. I mean, it's going to keep the competition at, at bay. So. You grew organically. You just didn't go out and get a hundred fifty thousand dollar loan and start buying instruments and things like no, that. No, correct, right? correct. And so, kind of as a follow up, that's a lot of gear, and okay. gear has a useful life. What, what does your company do with the instruments and gear once they're past that useful life? So, because we're only again, the company's eight years old, but because backline the, the gear that we've acquired is only five or six years old, unless we acquired mm-hmm. it secondhand. Um, mm-hmm. Like we did buy out another percussion rental company that ended up, you know, uh, pivoting after COVID. And so some of their equipment with percussion stuff is fine. If it's a Deegan that's old, it's great. Like so some vintage stuff that we have to find and purchase, we refurbish before it goes out. We make sure it's good. We have an in-house tester and in-house electrician to make sure the stuff is good. So vintage gear we keep. Um, We don't have very much old gear yet that's not vintage because we're still new. So the plan, which we haven't implemented yet, but I do have written down is to at some point 
uh, probably hire someone and make a part of their job description. And I know other people do this to sell it on Reverb. You know, oh, just okay. sort of secondhand sell it. Uh, and I know a lot of other companies do that. Uh, and in the pandemic, a lot of retail companies, Sam Ash and Guitar Center, did the same thing. They yeah. hired someone or they brought someone in on their, on their staff to literally secondhand sell stuff off of Reverb. So that's probably yeah. what we'll do. And that's that's a big business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Big. I mean, Reverb is great. I mean, I, I use it. Like if I can't find something, I'll go on Reverb and then there it is, you know. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so do you uh, do you do sound reinforcement like PA rentals and that sort of stuff as well? Or do you strict... strict Stick to the uh, instrument side of things. We stuck to the instrument side of things because again, it's yeah. all it's all massive. Like you can you can go and explode and spend millions of dollars on sound equipment, just like you can on backline. And so we stuck sure, to right. backline. We had a okay. few pieces of sound gear, okay. but then that all changed when we opened the shit. Yeah, when we open the rehearsal facility, we have to have all the sound stuff. We have to have the wireless okay. mics and the in ears and all that stuff. So we are in the process now of adding and acquiring all that a lot more gotcha. than we had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, primarily for use within the rehearsal space, or also for for wh- whoever wants it. Yeah, whatever whatever pays the bills, right? <laughs> sure, gotcha. Right. That makes sense. And so, what does a typical gig or a contract look like from from your perspective? With whom are you doing these contracts? Is it the I, artist? Is it the venue? Is it the promoter? Who is the, who's doing that? So we're doing this uh, podcast, and I know this is radio, but I we're on Zoom, and I see your SWR working pro behind you. Is that what that is? <laughs> You're good. You're very uh-huh, good. Because yeah. we have three of them. There you go. Okay, right. We yeah. have three of them in the yeah, shit. Yeah. Sorry. Um, <laughs> so we rent our, our main clients. We do do a lot of concert percussion. And because concert percussion, so the, the instruments are physically large, that ends up becoming a large project. So when we have a, for example, a university come to, through to play at the Kennedy Center or play in D.C. or the all-star Michigan all-star high school band that plays at the Washington Monument or whatever, they will ask for the whole kit and caboodle. Remember, it's timpani, snare drum, all the stuff. So that fills up a truck. And so that's one thing that's a large project. We do those quite often, but our bread and butter is 100% backline, which is, you know, yeah. um, an artist that I want. I use Diana Ross because she's one of my favorites, and her drummer is a good friend of mine, Jerry Brown, but, like, he needs the drums he needs, and then there's two keyboard players and a guitar player who needs his amps and a backup right. guitar, and then Diana has her piano shell. The piano player has a piano shell with a keyboard sure. in it. Like, so yeah. all that stuff goes out. So that is one package and load. Um, just today, we did a writer for George Benson, Mm-hmm. Right, which is the same sort of thing, right? Amps, yeah. keyboards, guitars, and then we have to provide spares and backups. And then sometimes actually have to provide the labor on site technician labor to do it, backline techs. Sure. Um, most of our gigs are drops and pickups. Well, we'll drop the gear, make sure it works, leave, come back and pick it up, stay. When you're a sound company and you're doing the show, you usually have to stay. So there's a little bit of difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, um, so, like uh, for the George Benson example, so it's you know, is George calling you and saying, "Hey, Jovan, this is what I need." Is it is it his agent? Is it his? Uh, is it the venue? Um, yes, you know, all three. All it, it's all it's mm-hmm. all all kinds of different things. It's okay. probably I don't know. So let's say half the time it's an organization uh, or venue, yeah. and then maybe maybe the other you know thirty uh, percent of that would be uh, the actual artist of George Benson. And then okay. the other third will be George himself, but it wouldn't be George Benson. It'd be the people that are sure. not as George right. Benson as he is, right? But it's mostly yeah. venues and organizations and then tour managers, et cetera. Cool. Yeah. Do you have an accountant who helps with the bookkeeping and depreciation, or do you all do that yourself? 
Sabrina, my business manager, my right-hand gal, she, we do it together. Um, I did it first when I started the company, so I had to learn it, you know, and again, having those classes as an arts administration major helped, but I did them myself, and then when she came on, I asked her to help me do it, and this is, again, when we were, you know, very small, uh, very, very low revenue. I think, like, at the end of that year, our first year, revenue was, like, 80 grand, something very tiny. Uh, so it was very manageable. It was manageable. It was easy, easy to do. So we figured it out together. And so we do have an accountant who's amazing, uh, but we do all of the input, the data entry. And then we yeah. liaise with him once a quarter or when as necessary to make sure that yeah. everything looks good. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Got to have a great accountant. Yeah. Got to do it. Yeah. 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 Right. Well, it's, it, I had never thought about it before, sort of, I guess. But uh, does the IRS have uh, recommended? depreciation schedules for musical instruments and that sort of stuff? They do. So um, you can, 149, uh, sorry, you can take it where you can depreciate a piece of equipment over seven years, or you can take it all in one year. It depends on the particular piece of equipment, what you purchase, and how you, so for example, a computer, right, is usually depreciable over seven years as a business, right? But it depends on you and your accountant and how you guys choose to, you usually only get, one opportunity to decide what you want to do as a company. So, uh, um, you know, so for, for example, if I decide that I want to take everything in the year that I purchase it, right, right, then I can take it, but then I don't get it for the future years. But a computer will last you a long time. So if you want to depreciate it over seven years, which is the schedule it works. Uh, and so the way it works, you're rarely asking me questions to get in the weeds, but this is great. So sound <laughs> equipment is, sound equipment is 20% depreciable per year, but Instruments and hardware is 10%. I think we have three categories in QuickBooks. I was just looking at the other day. It's 2010 and then another number, which I can't forget. And then there's a 149 where you, 179, sorry, where you just take everything. So it's different. And Sabrina and I put them in different categories to maximize yeah. because that's, that's right. the smart thing to do. Yeah. And it's cash this, at the end of the year that you get to keep, right? Yeah. Boom. Yeah. Huh? yeah. And this, this information is great for any musician or really any arts person. They have, Inventory. Anybody dealing with equipment of any equipment. Sort. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. And once you know what to do, once you once you know what 179 is, once you actually understand it, then it's easy. I mean, taxes for all of us. I don't know why they don't teach us how to do our own taxes in high school. Anyways, it's a whole other conversation. But like, right. once you know that there's a difference, yeah, it makes all it makes it makes a really big dent in the bottom line with you know what you get back from Uncle Sam. Most musicians usually end up you know, writing off a lot of expenses, right? And so maximizing that, whether that's over seven years or whatever your depreciation schedule is, or at once, is really important. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe. Visit artsentrepreneurshippodcast.com to learn more about our guest and how you can help support artists, the arts, and this podcast. (laughs) 